It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, coming to you live from our studio, our Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, and joined sometimes today is a special guest appearance by my co-host, Landon Mance from the Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Landon, welcome in, buddy. Good afternoon, y'all. Always wonderful to see your face. So before we jump in and talk about who we have here as a guest today, if this is the first time you're listening to our uh, small basic podcast, it's called Tycoons of Small Biz. And what it is, is it's a podcast put together by small business for small business. Landon and I are small business owners. We're also multi-generational small business owners in our family. And we believe that the backbone of the American economy truly is the small business uh, in our country. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon of small biz today and former bodyguard for Vladimir Putin, (laughs) Sergey Gook from Restoration HQ LLC here in Arizona. Sergey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, Sergey, we're excited to have you here. We uh, obviously, we have a, a pre-qualification call with all of our guests. So we know a little bit about you and we we know that you like to joke and you even made some jokes about being a spy for Vladimir Putin. So I had to throw <laughs> that one in there. But, you know, before we jump into the business side of things, Sergey, which we know a little bit about and look forward to learning even more about, why don't you tell us about us, about yourself personally? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? What did you do, you know, as far as schooling is concerned? What's your family life like? Anything you'd like us to know about you personally? All right. Well, as you mentioned, uh, before becoming the bodyguard for Vladimir Putin, um, I was originally born in Rostov, Russia. I moved here on July 28th of 94 as a religious refugee with my mother and my grandparents. We landed in wonderful Phoenix, Arizona. And I remember walking out of the airport in July thinking there's no way people can live here. I thought we were on the runway behind a jet plane because it was incredibly hot. But nevertheless, stayed here, been here, went to school here. I uh, did not get to the college level. I finished high school up in North Phoenix, and I went right into work. Been working ever since then. September 2nd will be 20 years that I've been in the industry and been doing this. Uh, beyond that, I am. I still consider myself a new father. My son's going to be two years old, so that's been an absolute change in my life. And anybody who has kids understands that there's no words to prepare you for it, and there is no joy to describe it. So I've been spending a lot of time with my son. Beyond that, we're an outdoors family, and we love camping, hiking, taking our uh, our trailer in the middle of nowhere. One of the things we look for is to be with no cell phone reception because technology has been sold to us saying that it keeps us connected, but sometimes we just want to disconnect and be gone. But that's going to mean a nutshell. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on the disconnecting part. I've got kids that are 21 and 18. Um, and I tell you, <laughs> trying to get them to disconnect from those devices is tough. And so that's, you know, we we have an RV. We talked about this a little bit in our pre-qualification call. We have an RV. I've got off-road vehicles and so forth. So we love to get out there as well. And that's, for me, one of the big things that I look for is an opportunity to truly disconnect, mm-hmm. get out, hike, spend time with the family, you know, truly check in with the kids where they don't have their device in front of them and and see how they're doing. And even yourself. I think we, you know, they call it clarity breaks, right? We we need those moments. And I know a lot of major CEOs actually specifically set time aside to get those type of clarity breaks. Yeah, no, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Restoration HQ. You've been, you've been at it for a while, but you know, what is it? What do you guys do? Why did you choose to go into that? Well, I, when I started in my teens in restoration, it was kind of an industry that I fell into. Um, not a lot of people really know what goes into restoration. They think of it, you know, uh, entrance claims, fires, floods, those kind of situations. And while that is very well true for most situations, uh, Restoration HQ is meant to be disruptive to the industry. It is uh, 100% commercial focused. 
And what I mean by that is 99.9% of the restoration companies are going to be aligned with insurance companies. That's who they work for. So as a homeowner, as we can imagine, as a homeowner, you maybe have one or two claims at your, at your house throughout your life. Well, commercial buildings are different. We have a lot of tenants. We have a lot of uh, construction that happens, plumbing, all these different things that occur that becomes more frequent. And after spending about 12 and a half years with uh, the previous employer, I realized that there was just a not good buying experience for the commercial customers. They were dealing with companies that didn't understand how they operated, nor understood the size of the building and how it operated as well. So Restoration HQ was born to change that. Uh, We are just over seven years old. We handle about 1,200 to 1,400 jobs a year, only in the commercial arena. And we align ourselves with the customer, with the end user. Our goal is to uh, take care of your building, take care of your needs, and, and just restore it and protect human health. And we understand that a lot of these claims are covered by the insurance but let's be honest, insurance companies are not our best friends. <laughs> and, this, you know, those commercials, uh, um, we won't talk about those jingles, but those commercials are meant to create an emotion. But sometimes, and if anybody who's ever had an insurance claim, whether it's automotive or uh, structure, knows it is a difficult, painful process that sometimes feels offensive. And um, we want to be the advocate for the customer. We want to take care of it and we want to protect human health while we're doing it. Yeah, I can tell you that I've had a few claims, actually, oddly enough. I I own a house that's about 20 years old, and we had a water heater burst, replaced it, and so it caused some flooding. I happened to be out of town, and we had actually just started putting some new flooring down. So then the water got underneath the grout and popped the tiles, and you know, that we just started to to replace. Replaced the water heater, and then the water heater burst again (laughs) and caused the exact same problem all over again. And then we've also had a a burst pipe in in the shower. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... And our experience, it really was. It was dependent on what the insurance company said. It was it was based on what they would approve pricing-wise. Mm-hmm. The companies that came in knew the game. They were, you know, letting us know what's going on with the insurance. This is what they've approved. This is what we can do. Or we can, you know, we need to put these dryers here for forever. I mean, you're sitting in your house. You got those dryers going 24 oh, yeah. hours a day for however many days to get everything dried out in the drywall. And it's just, it, it's a nightmare. It, it is. It's a, it's a pain in the neck to deal with as a consumer. And you kind of touched on the second point of it is education, right? As as a, as a buyer of those services, often the question is, do I need 10 blowers? Do I need 20? Do I need it for three days? Do I need it for five days? We don't know. We don't, we don't, it's, it's, it's hard. So the second component of what we do is education. We want to get out there and we want to explain to the customers why we do what we do, right? They understand the HVAC. They understand the electrical. You want an outlet there? Well, you got to run some wires. Pretty simple. But when it comes to restoration, there's just a lot of unknowns. And yeah, um, yeah we're, we're changing, hopefully changing the experience one customer at a time. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's great to hear that you guys are taking a little bit different approach. What do you think, Landon? I want to hear the story about, you know, behind why you started the business, because I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I know you've been in the industry for, you know, quite some time, about 20 years, but, you know, kind of. Kind of walk us through through that. You know, what were you doing up until you kind of started the business and, and tell us the story about how you transitioned from being an employee to, to a business owner. All right. I uh, will share the story, but for the purposes of privacy, I will protect the names and, uh, and uh, remove any <laughs> juicy facts. But um, yeah, so, you know, uh, wrapping up high school, I was lost. I had no idea what I'm going to do with work. I have no idea what I was going to do with school. I just knew that the traditional systems that were out there, the choices I had available, just did not align with who I was and how I learned. But I knew I loved math and I knew I loved science. It made sense to me. So a best friend of mine was working for this small company, and he called me one day and said, look, I know you don't have any work. Would you like to come help us? And I came out and I helped, and I realized that he was talking about evaporation rates and atmospheric readings and psychrometry. So I uh, loved it and ended up staying with that company. Uh, fast forward about nine or 10 years, I uh, was a general manager for many years, and I took that company from about 124000 a year in total sales to right around $4 million at that time, and right through the, the 08, 09 recession when we had that going on. So I looked at it and said, okay, well, I've been here long enough, and then kind of know what's going on, and they want to retire. So I went to the owners and said, can we put together a plan to help me buy this out? 
I'm still in my 20s. I obviously don't have a lot of money. They knew what I was getting paid, and um, it wasn't a large sum of money, but <laughs> it was it was enough, you know. And I said, "Can we can we work out a deal?" And we did. We worked out a deal that gave me about three year opportunity to generate enough capital to offset down payment. Long story short, come that three years, I feel like I'm in a good spot. I go to the bank. And the problem was that the deal that was created internally was not the same deal that the banks looked at it. Externally, they didn't value it the same way. So I found myself back in square one with three years gone. So I pleaded with them and said, can we try to make this work and this and that? And to my surprise, somebody who I've been with for 12 years looked at me and laughed and said, no, you, you need to find your own way. So I found myself in a situation where I've dedicated 12 years of my life and those of you that understand the 24-7 industry, there was a lot of long hours. There was a lot of events and birthdays and holidays and just things that I missed out on. And I was putting my sweat equity. And I found myself in a situation where the people I did it for did not value it the same way that I did. And I'm at square one. And obviously, I was it was a down moment in my life. And um, I almost fleed the state. And I was going to move to uh, Seattle. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was a contractor at the time. He owned a construction company. And it was mostly like a goodbye lunch. And I said, I'm moving to Seattle. And he said, what for? I said, well, it rains a lot. It's got old buildings and I'm in a restoration. Why wouldn't I go? Plus, I'm a foodie at heart and there was a lot of different food choices. <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, that's a bad idea. You have your history here. You have reputation here. What's it going to take for you to stay? I said, as a joke, thinking we're just joking around. I said, well, if I had my own business, then I'd stay. And he looked at me and said, okay. I said, okay, what? He said, okay, we'll get you a business. I said, you, you, I didn't even tell you how much. And he said, I know. And he just kept having this passive answer of, okay. So we, um, we discussed how it's going to work. And we shook hands at that lunch. And that was the extent of our deal. There was no lawyers, no contracts, no purchase agreements, no nothing. And this man believed in me so much that he put his house up as a collateral to the bank and gave me the capital I needed to get started on a handshake deal. Fast forward three years. I built up that sweat equity that I initially started with the first employer and had the money. And in 2015, I bought out his sole interest and became a sole owner of Restoration HQ. We're still very close friends. It was interesting because we talked about it. We went from being contractor client to friends, to business partners, to family. And that's where we are right now. We, we're family. I would never recommend to my child or anybody I know to do a handshake deal in business in 2022. But I had nothing to lose. I was putting in sweat equity and he was putting in capital. And as long as he put in the capital and I put in the work, we were both going to win. It taught me a lesson. And, you know, I asked him and I said, why would you do this? Why would you take such a risk on a 20-something-year-old kid with no college degree, no nothing? And he, he answered it in a very cool way that I remember. And he said, I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I will make a lot of money, whatever the case may be. But what one thing that nobody can take away from me on my deathbed is knowing that I made a difference for somebody in their life. And he asked me to pay it forward. He asked me to make sure that if I ever come across an opportunity that is similar to what I had, that I will take a risk on that individual and I will give him the same opportunity. So that's now become my why. And that's the Restoration HQ why is for their employees. Sure, maybe they're not going to be business owners, but if that employee can reach their financial goals, take care of their family, have kids, then I'm kind of paying it forward little by little. The big picture for Restoration HQ is to actually find more opportunities of people similar to my story, who have the grit, who have the DNA, who have what it takes to get it done, but may not look perfect in bank size on paper. What they refer to as not being lendable. So that drives me every day from my employees to future people I meet. And even with customers, you know, sometimes helping a building engineer uh, get to his next level is somehow indirectly still kind of delivering that promise I made. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So so this this guardian angel, if you will, <laughs> of yours, uh, was that your guys' arrangement from day one was he will provide the capital, you'll be the ops guy, and in X amount of years, or once you were able to re repay him, or what was the what was the arrangement as far as getting him bought out from from the get go? 
Well, actually, it was not. The original arrangement was, he says, how long do you need me to stay in this driver's seat? Because as we understand, leaving companies, there's complication when it comes to ownership plus capital. We can put that aside. But he said, how much time do you need? And I said, well, I need a couple of years. He said, okay, in two years, the company is yours. And I said, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't want a handout. I was not looking for a handout. I was looking for an opportunity. Same opportunity I was looking for the previous employer. And I said, no, I, I want to make it fair. Let's figure out what that number is going to look like. You know, is it a multiplier on the net? Is it the average? And we kind of worked out that deal. Um, and I said, I need about three years. So it kind of shifted in between uh, from the beginning of it to the end of it. We even, you know, the hilarious thing about this whole changes of it is at that three-year mark when we went to the bank and we went to Wells Fargo and we said, hey, um, this is a deal we want to do. We need some capital. And they said, okay, do you have a purchase agreement? No, we don't. Do you have a memorandum of understanding? No, we don't. Do you have an operating agreement? No, we don't. We said, what, what's going on? And they looked at us and said, we can't help you. I said, well, why not? And the guy rotates the monitor and says, I need to upload a document here before I can hit next. And if you don't have a document to upload, I can't even go to the next step. And it was such an eye-opening experience of how impersonal this process has become. And here we are, two men on a handshake deal looking to fulfill the commitments we made, and we couldn't get others to understand that. And that was just... That was odd. That was odd to me. Interesting. So um, uh, what was I just going to ask you? It was a follow-up to that. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So as you as you made this decision, you're going to move to Seattle. You're having with your with your business associate slash, you know, friend. And this conversation transpires. Leading up to that, were you planning to just go work for like a larger company and just be a W-2 employee? Or were you planning to move to Seattle and start your own business there? To be honest, at that moment, I was so beat up and deflated and offended and hurt and every kind of emotion you can think of that I was simply looking to run away and just find a paycheck. It was it was probably one of the lowest moments. It's it's how they went about it that, you know, that goes beyond what I just shared. It's, I was, I was, I was beat down. So yes, I was looking to just become an employee. And obviously I knew I'd bounce back and get back on my feet, but I needed some time to lick my wounds. And I, um, you know, I wanted to run from the state mostly because July 28th and 94, I didn't want to be here when I thought when, you know, when we landed. And um, the other time, I mean, the second part of it is just, I think I just wanted to get far away. I think I was just... I was done. I was beat up. Understandably so. Well, I, I think uh, I think uh, you know the, the city of Phoenix and, and your your clients and your community can certainly appreciate that uh, that this guy you know sat you down and and changed your mind because I think you uh, you're making a big impact in the community. So we're we're glad that you're still there. Me too. Uh, looking back at it. Um, he doesn't realize how much I appreciate that he was that voice of reason and kept me here because, you know, Mother Nature says when we face a tough situations, fight or flight. And I went to flight and it was him who gave me the motivation to stay and fight. Yeah, very cool. So kind of walk us through the last seven years. You know, you're, you start the business with this guy essentially from scratch. You know, here you are, you know, seven years later, and I think you, you've made the Inc. 5000 list. So obviously you've experienced some some really tremendous growth. So just kind of walk us through the last seven years and tell us about your progress. Oh, man, you know, anybody who's had, you know, five, seven years of startup, it kind of feels like a blur at times, right? Um, the, the bad, the good, the evils mixed together. But let's, let's kind of uh, jump in the timeline. So when I first started... Uh, not only was he helping with finance, but he gave me a, a couple cubicles, right? So I started off by myself, thought I could maybe do it three to six months on myself and realized that, no, I needed help right away. So I was lucky enough that the office manager that used to work for me in a previous company uh, committed to come on board. So she came on three months into it at a very low salary. This this woman was worth a lot more money than she was getting from me, but I uh, I appreciate her coming through. So she came in and um, we did $1.1 million in the first year. Um, I, you know, and a part of that, I think, contributes that I started off as a technician. I was in the field. And there was some 
loyalty and trust that people were willing to switch over. I had a lot of customers say, I don't care what color shirt you wear, what logo you got. All I know is that when I have an emergency, I call you, you answer, and you show up and you take care of it. So wherever you go, I'll follow you. And I appreciate that so much because it really helped spark this fire, the fire that hasn't stopped. And we continue to grow. Obviously, in the beginning, uh, you strapped for cash. Um, our first trucks were retired Penske trucks that still had the Penske outline on it from the sun fading of Arizona. And um, that's what we grew the business on, on these old beat-up trucks uh, that drove across the country. And we kept going. And we got to the point where um, we were able to start investing into the business. And that meant equipment. That meant better people. Uh, that meant continued education. And that has remained with our business. You know, we, we're very intentional about the things we get. The intent is not to be cheap. The intent is to be ready for anything. Um, anybody knows about fire departments, those fire trucks are like a million plus, right? Because they have to be ready for everything. Well, we took on the same mentality. We're kind of a fire department and a military all together. You got to trust the guy behind you. He's got your back and he knows what to do. And you got to trust your equipment in the middle of the night. So we continue to do this, and this has really contributed to our success. It's very often that the customers tell us, do you not have any other jobs? How is it that I call you and you're here in 45 minutes? Well, the answer is not that we don't have any jobs. We are prepared for that volume, and we are very honest with ourselves and honest with our customers on what we can do. We don't take on more work just because it's a lucrative opportunity. We are a relationship-built company, not working for insurance companies. 99% of my customers is repeat customers, so it's relationship-based. And um, I was lucky enough to read a book many years ago. It's called The Power of No and uh, the disciplines that come with that. So that's really helped out. Last year, we, I think it was like around, was it the summer, August, September, when the Inc. 5000 list comes out? You're absolutely right. We made the 3,737th fastest growing company in the nation. We had about an 89% growth over three years. Even though I may have the title CEO, let's be honest, it's, it's my team. It's every single person that comes in every day. It's our why. It's our core values. It's everything that we work on, the culture, the discipline that really helps contribute to the success. We just celebrated seven years and we have been growing every single year. And we expect this year to be no different. In fact, the Restoration HQ slogan for the year is hashtag groundbreaking. Because as I mentioned to you, I have that promise to deliver on. I need to find more people with similar stories as me to give them opportunities, which means i got to expand beyond this backyard and continue to grow the company to have the capital, to find those people, to help the communities. And um, yeah, it's just, it's been a one heck of a, of a blur of many, many jobs, long nights. But I will tell you, the joys, the victories, the celebrations, the everything that comes with it is just so amazing. And it is, it is, it's, it's like, it's like being a parent. You're, you're sad when they're down and they're bleeding and you're happy when they made the honor roll, right? It's, it's, and everything in between. And the scary nights of, you know, no, I don't think there's any business in the startup that didn't have a moment of how the heck are we going to pay for this, right? Or where's the money going to come from? So, um, yeah, it's just been an amazing journey, and I would absolutely do it again. And if whoever's listening to this and is uh, worried about it, yeah, there's going to be hard times. And yes, it's going to be tough. And yes, it's going to be scary, but it's so worth it. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. So, I mean, obviously, building a business is not for the faint of heart. It's a lot of hard work. People look at people that have been in a business for 10 years or more, and they've got you know, these nice trucks and they've got this and they've got to be making all kinds of money. And, and they just think that, you know, that's what I want. Right. But the, the reality is that startup phase is really, really difficult. And a couple of things that I pulled out from what you were talking about there is one, you're not just one who considers yourself a servant leader, a servant leader. You live servant leadership every day because you mm -hmm. gave credit to your team right out of the gates. And I think that that's, you know, important as a, as a leader in a business. And, and second, what I heard you say was you've continued to reinvest in the business as though you're still a startup, right? So you're buying all the equipment to prepare for that growth that you're expecting to come, which means that less money's going into your pocket, less is, you know, you're buying fewer toys, all those kinds of things that everybody thinks business owners do, but you're doing that to invest in the business so that you're not 3737 on the Inc. 500, 5,000 list. You're 
110. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like th those are the types of commitments that you have to make as a business owner that is a seven-year-old startup. You, you know, you say it perfect. Um, doing interview process, I tell people that in my eyes, any company that's less than 10 years old is a startup. But sometimes the word startup refers to their ability to grow their capital. And it also should refer to their mindset, how it operates. So I compare it saying, you know, and large corporations, a cruise ship. For it to make a 90-degree turn, it's a planned out process that takes some time to do. Startup companies are kind of like an offshore speedboat. They're nimble. They can handle the waves. They can bounce around. They can make the decisions. So it's an environment that attracts certain type of people that want have change and keeps away people who just want to do the same thing over and over. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, everybody wants to judge your chapter 20, but nobody ever knows what chapter one was like. And uh, going back to that chapter one, I had an old pickup truck with a camper shell on it with a couple blowers and some plastic in it. And I wrote estimates in the middle of the day and I sucked up water at night, right? <laughs> and that was only seven years ago, but it feels like a long time. But you're right. Everybody, everybody wants to look at that. They don't understand the fears, the sacrifices, the laying at night, staring at your ceiling with the lights off. I'm wondering, how am I going to do this? And then coming into the office and hiding that to make sure that it doesn't affect the morale of other people. I think that's that's probably the most difficult thing in business when it comes to at least the emotional side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that the, you know, the public sees, oh, all of a sudden Restoration HQ is mm -hmm. on the Inc. 5000 list. What an overnight success, right? And, and actors deal with this or comedians or entertainers, you know, singers, whatever, this overnight success. But what you don't know is that they spent 10 years going on 10 auditions a day and, you know, all those sorts of things. Same thing in business. The last seven years, blood, sweat, and tears, everything that you needed to do to make this business successful, you did it. Absolutely. And yeah. still, you got to keep doing it. You know, you got to keep the machine oiled and going. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. We'll hear a, a quick call to action. Then I want to come back and, and talk to you a little bit about uh, a little bit more about your why course. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here with special guest Sergey Gook of Restoration HQ, and we're talking about uh, his, his company and, and what he's done over the last seven years to build that. But one of the things that I want to hone in on, and I know Landon's got several other things that he'd like to talk to you about, but I just wanted to hit on, at the very beginning, you kind of mentioned this and then, we, and then we moved on, but you're here in our country as a religious refugee. You got here in 1994 and we've had some guests in the past. My, my wife was actually one of them that works with some nonprofit organizations specifically that work with refugees. And so I'd love to hear I think, so let me back up. I think that a lot of people in this country believe that refugees get here and they kind of live off of the system, so to speak, right? The welfare system or whatever it is. Um, but the reality is, if, if you look at the studies and the statistics, refugees don't live off the system. They build businesses. They, you know, they go to work. They do whatever they, they have to do to, to make a living and work hard. And so that's obviously been your story. But I'd be interested to know specifically what it what it's been like for you as a refugee, what it was like to learn English and, you know, to kind of build to where you are today. But also if there's anything specific that you're doing in your organization today with other refugees, because we've got a huge influx of refugees coming into Phoenix and our country as a whole. So, oh, man. OK, you know, you're absolutely right. That stigma is is. I don't agree with that. Everybody that I know that is a refugee works harder, right? And and they take care of it. But if we kind of go back to the start of it, coming here, um, not only was I a refugee, but I was with a single mom, right? So my mom was my dad and she went to work and did everything. So at a young age, I learned really quickly that there is a massive system behind this world. And what I mean is that, you know, you mentioned about learning English. Well, I was lucky enough to pick up English relatively quickly. So therefore, I became the free you know, interpreter for my family. So I went to attorney meetings and uh, immigration meetings and doctors and all of these different things 
And I started to understand the complexity of this country and understand the complexity that comes with getting vehicles. Um, I remember uh, my mother was trying to buy, I think it was like a 1994, 1992 Nissan Stanza. And they wouldn't give her a loan. And I think it was like $3,000, right? I remember being so shocked. I was like, it's my mother. She's always done what she was supposed to do. And she's always going to do what she's going to do. She's a good person. But they just wouldn't give her that chance. So what I'm getting at is that I started very young understanding how this com- uh, this country works and what is required to. And then, um, you know, when I came here, because I didn't know English, my family recommended that I would go to fourth grade instead of fifth in order for me to learn English. And I picked up on that quickly and it made it easier. Um, but I was also faced with a little bit of bullying. Obviously, having a name, Sergey, in fourth grade, besides the cooties that everybody's getting out of, uh, there was an opportunity for little boys and girls to make fun of those names. So... I started to understand that sometimes being different was not a benefit. And there was a part of my life, a time where I wanted to change my name to hide that. Uh, what I wasn't realizing is this conditioning and disciplining me for, for not giving up and, and continuing to fight. So as I got older and had to go to work, um, whether it's my DNA, whether it's my upbringing, whether it's being the refugees, but there was just a fire inside of me that would not let me quit. So as I got older and, and I employed other people, I in fact employ a lot of people of all colors and races and genders and sexualities and all of that. I realized that what society sometimes thinks of people in the boxes it puts us in is not always true. And in fact, the refugees, uh, whether it's religious or just coming here for different opportunities, are hardworking, good people, family people, and still have the values and traditions that what this country was built on. So I continue to try to seek those people and give them those chances and give those opportunities. And again, I don't know if maybe it's where I was born, maybe it's the way my mother brought me up or the life experiences I went through, but that's almost come, kind of become that why again. And if you listen to the merger of those whys, right, not only the promise I had to make to my partner who helped me get started, but where I came from starting to really merge. And it was about two years ago that I started to understand my why. So the way I'm able to speak about it right now, two years ago would have been very clunky, but that's, that's kind of, I think what drives me. I think that's, that's what pushes it. Yeah. I, I think that it's gotta be more than money. Right. It's got to be more than building an empire, a big business. It's got to be something that's personal. Yeah, I don't I don't need a house on top of the mountain to look down on people. You know, um, that's 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 not what drives me. It, I mean, don't get me wrong. We talked earlier about off road toys and all that. We know anybody who's into motorsports. That is an incredibly expensive hobby. <laughs> yeah. And every horsepower seems to cost a thousand dollars. Right. But maybe it's the mechanics of it that really attracts me to it rather than the, the, the money appeal. But I do wish it was cheap. Like it was bicycles back in the day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It's a, uh, it's tough sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. What do you yeah, think? So, Landon? Yeah. So speaking of your, of your why, um, on the business side, talk to us about why you only do commercial, how you came to that decision and then kind of uh, relate that to uh, this um, kind of partnership that you have with your customers versus with the insurance companies. Of course. So, um, you know, when I started with the previous company, um, all we did is residential. And what I realized is that they did not, and when I say they, I refer to most insurance companies, they were not looking for quality work. They were not looking for the best product. They weren't looking to take care of the customer. They're in the business of making money. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. An insurance company is not a, a volunteering group, right? It's, it's a business and they turn profits and have investors. So as I got older and got more mature, I realized that it wasn't um, a personal decision. It was just a business decision. And I came to reality when I was working for this one home builder and we did like 15 projects for him with the exact same problem over 30 days. And I asked him, we're going to say his name is John. I said, John, why do you keep building buildings like this? Why don't you change your design? And he laughed at me. He said, you, you obviously don't understand business. And I go, well, teach me then. He goes, well, we do about, you know, let's say 100 homes a month. How much have I spent with you? I said, well, over the last jobs that we did with you, about 25K. He goes, okay. So it cost me 25K. But if I was to go back and change that design, it would cost me 250K. 
So that means I can employ you for 10 months and still be even. And if I don't have those issues pop up, then I'm turning a profit. And I think that was my eye-opening moment where I was like, okay, this is business doesn't have feelings. They don't treat people as people. They don't understand that that first-time homebuyer may have been saving money for 15 years, working two jobs, going to school, all these sacrifices. And the guy on the flip side is like, yeah, it makes me more profit not doing it, right? So that was my first moment waking up, and then it followed by the recession. And all the home builders customers we had basically filed bankruptcy, said we're not paying your bills. So that's what pushed us into commercial. And when we got to the commercial, we realized that that type of experience happens more frequent and on a bigger level. And then we realized that there is companies that just did not know what they were doing and they were creating potential hazards, whether it's mold or asbestos or even lead paint and all of those things. So now we went from a person suffering just an interruption to their house to potentially somebody getting sick and potentially getting their kids sick. You know, the example I use with my guys is saying, when somebody does an asbestos job wrong, sure, as an individual, we make a decision. Okay, I'm not going to wear a respirator. I go in there. No different with the COVID, right? Some people want to wear a mask, some don't. But it's a decision that we make. What we don't realize is the decision that we're making can impact our child. Because if I'm that worker and I got asbestos on my shoulder and I come home and I pick up my little girl and I hug her and she inhales it and 10 years later at the age of 14, she's dying with lung cancer. Well, I could have prevented that. I could have done something about that. So it went from a financial decision to then involved emotion and human health and protecting it. So when leaving that company, the reason I wanted to go into commercial is because I realized that is where I can deliver the most impact. It's where I wasn't bound by the insurance company that tied my hands and held on my money for 60, 90, 120 days, whatever the case was, to beat me down into submission. I was now dealing with a customer who also had a vested interest in protecting the, the tenants protecting the investment of the property, and we were able to be rewarded for thinking outside the box and delivering a better product, which started to feel like a team. So Restoration HQ's quote, that our motto that we came out is, we don't want to be your vendor, we want to be your teammate. But as we continue with our, with our journey, we realized what the word teammate meant even more. You know, a teammate's got to have your back. There's got to be trust in both directions. A teammate does not use your weaknesses to exploit them and to push you down. They work together to help lift you up. So that's when we started building these relationships with our customers. Are we perfect? Nobody's perfect. There's no single company out there that does every single job perfect. But what we are good at is taking ownership of it and getting better. And what we are good at is considering our customers beyond a dollar. My guys know our goal is to dry the building as fast as possible and as cheap as possible. My competitors go, well, you're leaving money on the table. My answer to them is you being short-sighted. You just want to turn and burn. I want this for the length of it. I want to continue to protect these people. And a lot of my customers and relationships we have are 10 plus years because of that. So as we were growing, as we were maturing, as I was maturing as a leader, I started to really understand what is the company's goal? What's its vision? What's it going to go? And if you can notice now, this is about the third time that these whys continue to come down and center. And they center around the very basic principles of being a good human, taking care of people. And I guess what they say in business is throwing a rope down once you get to the top, right? Uh, well, that, that happens in customer interactions. It happens with employees and kind of continues to go. But Hopefully that kind of answered your question in a, in a long way. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's fair to say, you know, um, the past has, has been bright and it sounds like the future is going to be even brighter, you know, for you and for your company. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, what are your, you know, three, five and, and 10 year goals for the company and, and help us help us kind of uh, wrap our arms around your your vision for the company moving forward. I'll go back about twelve months. I was asked the same question previously, and I wasn't happy with the answer I gave. It was very, um, oh well, we want to do this. Oh, we kind of want to grow. It wasn't in intentional. So we have implemented a system called EOS. I'm sure a lot of people in business know how it is, and uh, you know the traction tools and the vision. So. 
I'm actually at a place where I can answer that question very well right now. So <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up. But uh, our three-year goal is we want to have multiple locations in different towns. And the intent behind that is because um, I got to share with you, uh, by 2030, the goal is to have 12 franchise locations nationwide. Well, to build a franchise and to be successful at it, you must test things. So we are planning on opening up another location out of town to be our test market. We got our eyes set on Tucson. And the reason for Tucson is anybody who knows, it's almost like a different ecosystem out there. They're, they're very local, Tucson local, which is a good representation of entering into a different state or a different town. But the benefit is it's only a couple hours away, right? So the world's on fire. You can run down there and take care of it. <laughs> so we got our eyes set in Tucson, and I think that's what we'll go into. And that's going to be our test market. We want to test our franchise manual, our playbook. Uh, we're spending a lot of time, a lot of energy right now, really perfecting it and making sure that we can replicate this experience. Um, but once we are successful there, we do want to open up in the next state. Uh, Restoration HQ is actually part of a multiple different companies that have been set up to support this model without boring out the audience about the details of it. But basically, we have a vehicle leasing company. We have an equipment acquisition company, very similar to McDonald's model. In fact, when I was 15 and seven months before getting a job in restoration, I worked at McDonald's drive-thru. So uh, I know all about kind of how they operate. So that's where I kind of stole that idea. So we're working every day. Um, our leadership team is very dialed in. For those of you that do know EOS, we all have our rock set and all the different milestones and things that we must achieve and do. Uh, but the vision for the company is to, to become a franchise model nationwide, to focus on the commercial business, and continue to assist people reach their financial and family goals and whatever they have through this, through this business, through this company. So how long have you guys been doing EOS now? We're just... We just had 12 months. For those of you who haven't done it, be prepared. It will smoke out all your weaknesses, all the problems. And if you stick to it, it is just an amazing, amazing tool. I think I've read more books in the last 12 months than I did most of my high school career. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're big proponents of, of EOS and, um, you know, similar type of, you know, um, solutions and operating systems. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. My only follow-up question to that would be, you know, why, why the franchise model as opposed to just building out Restoration HQ yourself in these other towns and cities? I think it goes back to wanting to give others the joy and the feeling that I have as being the business owner. You know, I was lucky enough that there was enough people in my life to support me and help me. So I want to take that role as the second half of my life, right? Through education, through teaching them of how to get there to support their business. But you teach you, you know, you give, what did it say? You, you give man fish, he eats for a day. You teach him how to fish, he eats forever, right? So I guess it's that cheesy little mentality is that the reason I want to be a franchise model is I want to give those people an opportunity to build their own future. You know, if I have another location, somebody's there, well, yeah, I'm a general manager. Well, that's cool. But if somebody says, I'm a business owner and look what I've built and look how many people I've helped and look what I did, it's just a different message. It's a different feeling. It's a different organization that delivers different results. And we know that in the world we're right now, there's a lot of people just trying to photocopy and replicate others. And there's so much money right now, you know, mergers and acquisitions are just happening everywhere. And what's being lost is that personal touch. So if we build this big corporation, sometimes by default, the way that corporations work, that personal touch gets lost. But if we have 12 small businesses within this big mothership of them that continues to hold on to that personal touch, I think that's just a better success story. And even if we never make it to the top 100 on the Inc. 5000, and even if we stay, if this is the highest we go, I'm going to go back to the message that my, my partner said. On my deathbed, I will know that I was able to help somebody mm -hmm. achieve their goals, even if that means it did not add any dollars to my bank account. Yeah, that's very cool. I think that's... We, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, let me... I'll just mention some real quick, Austin, then you can uh, take us home. Yeah, just as you were kind of describing that, uh, Sergey, it, it, a thought just jumped into my mind. We had some guests on the show a few months ago. Karina and Patrick, mm -hmm. and their company is a CPR construction cleaning. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, similar story to you, they haven't been around quite as long as you, but I don't know if you if you know them or not, but if you don't, you guys should definitely be be connected. Um, and they just announced on LinkedIn that uh, they are going to be uh, franchising their their company nationwide as well. So I just mentioned that because they're you know they're a Phoenix based you know company and a similar really you know cool unique story like yours. So if uh, if you don't know them, then you should uh, you should get to know them. I actually luckily know both of them. The funny story about it, me and Karina used to be competitors back in a different life when she was in restoration. So we have some history back there. And I've known Patrick for a little while now as well when he was with a couple other employers. So um, they are very good at what they're doing right now and they're growing very quickly. So I will uh, definitely stay in touch with them because I think we we have some uh, similarities in how we are approaching business. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. So at Patrick is actually who introduced me to Sergey, so that's that's how we even came to to meet Sergey. But and they do have a great company, and and it'll be fun to watch them grow their company as well. But in, in terms of Restoration HQ, I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully doesn't get you in trouble um, <laughs> with, with your employees. But you know, with with the way that you've put this whole thing together with your why and and wanting to help others find success, my gut tells me there are at least one person, if not multiple people inside of your company who would want to move to another state and open one of these franchise locations on behalf of Restoration HQ. So I would assume that's part of your plan to kind of help them get started with their own franchise. It's funny you say that because um, a couple of them said that and it really took me back. And, and, you know, it was just, it was such an overwhelming compliment. Uh, But absolutely. It doesn't have to be stranger. It could be somebody we already know to kind of help get to that point. But you're right. You know, I, I, I love to see these people grow. We use a system called Culture Index to help identify. And uh, it's kind of similar to, you know, the personality task and disassessments and predictive index. But what I was getting at is when we did this, we realized that we have a lot of introverts. And it's kind of funny how that worked out, right? It's just it's a lot of them, but they're all rule followers and like it. Well, we just had our holiday party. And a little about me is I don't like spotlight, right? This this works for me because there's only a few of us here. It's, it's good to go. I don't know how many people are listening. Hopefully none. Because, 10, 10 million. Yep, yep. Oh, there, here we go, right? Um, I think they call it an imposter syndrome, but I'm, I'm trying to battle with him. But what I was getting at is uh, there was about 10 or 12 of them that came up and spoke. Even though I did appreciate the compliment and all that, what to me was reassurance that what we are doing is working. And what it gave me is that motivation that when I find myself laying in bed and staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night, it's no longer about me. I need to think about them and I need to give them that opportunity. So I would love for my first franchise owner to be one of our company's employees. I think to me, that would be the ultimate success story. At that point, I can get hit by a bus and I'm done. Right? I'm good <laughs> to go. But that's, that's uh, I would love for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a cool way to to do it, obviously. And it, it's an easy way to fulfill what you said mm-hmm. you would fulfill by paying it forward. And if you've got people who are interested and, and have the ability or can learn to have the yep. abilities to do it, uh, it's a great way to do it. So I think that what you guys are doing is awesome. You know, I, I think that there's a there's an ability to be passionate about whatever it is that you do, mm-hmm. right? Because there are a lot of people who are listening thinking, I mean, come on, fixing, fixing flood problems or asbestos or, you know, whatever you're it is. Or you making it pretty, coming out, your sewage <laughs> pouring out of the ceiling. There is, there is no glories or joys. If you got into restoration, it's not for winning awards. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think what, what you're passionate about is building an organization that matters not only to your employees, but that helps you to partner with these property managers and building owners that are out there that really want a partner in this rather than a vendor. Absolutely. So if there's anything that I've taken away from this conversation, that's probably the biggest compliment that I would pay to you is that you honed in on that and realized that that's going to help you build a better company. Absolutely. Right. You know, you said your competitors are short-sighted. You can see it at any, any industry, Landon and I see it in our industry where guys will come in and sell some sort of a product and then move on Mm -hmm. rather than, I'm going to serve this client for the next 30 years and I'm going to make darn sure that they hit all of their financial goals and personal goals along the way. 
that's a different approach to running the business. And ultimately, it may be a slower way to build it, but ultimately it makes you more successful and builds that loyalty that you're looking for from your customers and your employees. Of course, because if we wanted to go big, we can go get private equity, money's cheap, go buy up 10 other businesses, turn into a spreadsheet company, turn the profits we need, dump it and be done, right? Yep. That happens too often. That's, that, that doesn't mean anything anymore. I, I think, um, yeah, I like our approach. Yeah. Well, I'll leave the floor to you. You can tell people where to find you online. Anything else that you'd like our listeners or us to know, the floor is yours. Well, we all know social media is a good tool. So obviously, Instagram, Facebook, all of good jazz, Restoration HQ is on there. Um, you can kind of see all our community projects and everything we're doing. COVID's kind of really slowed that down, obviously, but uh, we like to put on a lot of community events. So if you, uh, we have a lot of animal lovers. So if you're an animal lover, you want to come out to any kind of charities, any events that we're doing, we would love to have anybody's support. Um, obviously, LinkedIn, you can kind of see more educational side of it. Um, myself and my, my team is on there as well. Beyond that, we have our emergency line list on our website. So if you got any floods, fires, give us a call. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, with that joke aside, we're um, really happy to be here. Thank you for having us. And uh, we love what we do. Our team is our team is kicking butt. You know, we're, we want to keep it going. So if you are looking for a partner and not a vendor, we would love to speak with you. Great. Landon, anything to bring us home? Yeah, I just, I just want to just thank you again for joining us. Uh, really insightful, enjoyable conversation. Um, like I said, the past was bright and the future looks a whole lot brighter for you guys. So we're looking forward to uh, following your continued success. And we, we wish you the best of luck with your, uh, your uh, test location, I guess I'll call it, in uh, Tucson and have no doubt you'll have success there. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll watch it, watch it roll out nationwide and we'll be rooting for you the whole way, man. So Best of luck and thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks, Sergey. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.